reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one, I in them, and you in me. That they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for reading that. Um, that is... Um, Actually, Jesus speaking, it doesn't say Jesus said at the beginning of that reason, uh, reading, but it is Jesus speaking. The 17th chapter of John is known as the high priestly prayer. It's at the very end of what we call the farewell discourse when Jesus is spending time with his disciples. He's praying to the one he calls Father or Abba, and he's praying on behalf of the disciples and asking the Father, asking God that the relationship that he's established with them would continue. It's a very familial prayer. You could say Jesus sounds as much like a mother as a father as he speaks to the Father because he's speaking on behalf of disciples and followers who were in some ways like children to him, people that he cared deeply about and people that were going forward in mission uh, following his death and resurrection. Um, so the first thing that I thought about regarding this text was families and the community that we have and the relationships we have in that very basic foundational um, community of our families. And, and it's true, isn't it, that good mothers and fathers want nothing more than for their children to live in an abundant life. And Jesus is conveying that message to the one he knows as father and also those who are, who are following. So in many ways, we are the family of God. But we think about our particular families. Uh, my mother, uh, who now rests in peace, died a few years ago, uh, was the one that really kept everyone in our family connected, even as we scattered to different parts of the country. For her, the abundant life, the full, meaningful, hopeful life, was to be found in good relationships among family, and friends not to ever be taken for granted. And um, often those gatherings and times together involve good food, as I think we can relate to uh, as well. My, my dad said to me the other day, he said, nothing makes me happier than that my children, he said, you kids, you kids, you know, I think one of his children has not yet hit the age of 50 yet, but he still calls us his kids. I'm, nothing makes me happier than that you kids have a strong relationship with each other, but you like to get to that you like to get together, that you get along so well. So we we share in Jesus' prayer for unity among his followers. In families, 
but as families extend out into communities as well, communities of faith, I, you know, I, I believe strongly that we need more than our families. We need more than a, a group of voluntary friends. We really need to be attached to a community that gets us outside of ourselves, and that's why we gather every week. It's not just a, a one thing that we do among many activities. It really is central to who we are. At least that's why I continue to do the work that I do. Uh, a story about that. I first met Scott following a worship, savior, a worship service at our Savior's Lutheran Church on the corner of 24th and Chicago Avenue in South Minneapolis, where I served as the pastor at the time. Scott was sitting in the back that particular day all by himself, and he told me that he liked to come to our Savior's because it was a quiet worship, a relative thing. Perhaps Scott would occasionally come to worship before heading over to the Pentecostal church down the street, which apparently wasn't as quiet. Uh, eventually, Scott began worshiping with us every Sunday. Um, worship style was trumped by belonging. He found something more there uh, for him. And after a while, it wasn't only Scott, but his entire family, 15 of them from three generations, often would be sitting in their particular part of the worship area together each week. In a congregation that was about two-thirds white and one-third a mix of black and West African people, Scott's family was Navajo from Arizona. And so, needless to say, their presence added in a wonderful way to an already diverse congregation. Nothing really extraordinary about this, but there was something that happened um, during the, his time there, about 15 years ago this was, the church council at Our Saviors uh, was recommending to the congregation that we become a reconciling in Christ congregation. Uh, and that is that we offer a public affirmation of welcome to all people, but that we specifically name gay and lesbian people as well. Um, so one day, around this time, Scott came to my office and he wanted to chat with me. I was a little nervous because I had a feeling that it might be about this, probably a little more conservative than most of the people in the congregation. And he wanted me to know that he didn't support the decision um, to be that, that clear in our welcome of gay and lesbian people. In his, gen in his gentle manner, he talked about his concerns and, and I listened. I worried a little bit as I listened because I didn't know where this was going. But before I could offer a response, um, he said, I just wanted you to know that. Just wanted you to know that, but it doesn't change anything. We're not leaving because this is our family. This is our community. These are the people we care about. And there was something bigger that united him with that community than one particular issue. And they did. They stayed. And a few years later, um, they relocated back to their home in Arizona, probably where they ultimately belonged. Not all stories end this way. We know that um, from our experience all too well within families and faith communities. Disagreement um, can often lead to brokenness and division. And Jesus knew it too. Probably the reason he prayed the way he did. He knew of this human inclination toward disunity that has become so much a part of our lives. We can't get away from it. We're, we're, constantly, um, we're constantly with screens in our hands and on our desktops and on the walls that continually remind us of 
disunity in our families, in our workplaces, in our politics. We remain vulnerable to these ever-widening chasms that divide us as people in spite of Jesus' ardent prayer. says, the glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God in Christ creates unity. God's very nature as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is mystery, is unity, even in its mystery. It is united, it is one, one God, three expressions. God's unifying presence, God's promise of abundant life is never forced upon us. It continues to be set in front of us. And in spite of our failed, failed attempts to create it for ourselves, we continue to abide in a unified, life-giving God who creates it for us. We can never be separated from God, even if we find ourselves often separated from one another. We may be divided, but God is not. God is not. Paul writes to the Colossians that in Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things. We are held together by a promise that we experience oneness with God and each other. Living in relationship is the whole point of John's gospel, which begins with the astounding promise that the word became flesh and lived among us. The word embodied in Jesus comes to the world as it is, as the world is, including the world as it is broken and divided. The work of creating and sustaining unity must be inspired from beyond us. There must be something outside of us that draws us together because we are unable to accomplish it on our own. It compels us to pause and listen, not just to those who we agree with, which is becoming easier and easier to kind of isolate ourselves from those with whom we find ourselves in disagreement, but rather to listen to God and to one another and to the voice of the stranger. It compels us to greater trust in God, for sure, but also to trust in each other, to trust in the body that bears Christ's name. Jesus' prayer on behalf of his disciples is calling forth God's ongoing work of creating community and uniting us around a common promise. Not a to-do list, a promise. A common promise which began in Jesus and continues in us as we are led by the Spirit. Unity is given. Unity is a promise. It is God's promise, not our agreement. It is God's promise that unites us as the body of Christ. Amen.